Welcome to Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics. I'm your host, Theo Wan. At Onside, we run camps and programs for youth with the purpose of integrating faith, family, and sport. The Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics podcast was launched to give a chance for Christians in the sport world to share their story of faith and sport and to encourage you to live out your faith wherever God has placed you. We would love for you to share this podcast with your family, church, and community. And if you want to learn more about Onside Athletics, you can check us out at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our guest this week is Herbie Kuhn. Herbie is the PA announcer for the Toronto Raptors, and he's a chaplain for the Toronto Argonauts, Toronto Raptors, and Athletics Canada. Alright, so I'm here with Herbie Kuhn. If you're a basketball fan and you've been to a Toronto Raptors game, you have definitely heard his voice through the speakers. He is the PA announcer for the Toronto Raptors since its inception in 1995. So really excited to have Herbie on the podcast today. Herbie, how are you doing today? Theo, greetings, sir. I am blessed and I'm highly favored. How are you on this fine day? I'm doing great. I get to talk to... uh I know we uh, think about legends with the Raptors, we think players, but you're a legend because you've been with the Raptors since inception, so that's awesome. If longevity has anything to do with legendary status, then I'll give, it, I'll give you a little bit there since I've been there for so long, but I don't know about legendary altogether, but thank you for the commentary, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> Just hyping you up there, Herbie. And so let's start off talking about your role with the Raptors, your role in sport there. Uh, share quickly or as much as you can with the audience, what you do for the Raptors and what your day-to-day looks like there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with the Raptors, I have two roles, actually. One that is official from the team's perspective and one that is official from the ministry perspective. The one that I am best known for, as you have alluded to, is being the in-house voice of the Toronto Raptors since 1995, when we first played our First exhibition game in Halifax, Nova Scotia. There's a trivia question for you Raptor diehards out there. And our first ever regular season game, November 3rd, 1995, against the New Jersey Nets at Skydome. And since then, yeah, by God's grace, I've been holding it down. Certainly, I've missed a few games here and there due to personal stuff and illness and whatnot. I have been the primary guy, again, by God's grace, for... Well, this would have been the 26th year with the pandemic affecting the Raptors' home court status. It's changed things for me in that regard. But nonetheless, I've been the official person since the team started. So that's the what I am best known for. In addition to that, uh, along with my friend, my brother, Steve Kearns of Athletes in Action, we serve as co-chaplains for the team as well. And that's something that we have performed with the Raptors since our second season in 1996 is when we began the chaplaincy program. So that involves pregame chapels, somewhat regular Bible studies, pastoral availability, and so on and so forth. And both roles bring me great pleasure. Both roles bring me extreme satisfaction and gratitude for being able to use my natural giftings in those ways. Yeah, you can already tell Herbie a gifted speaker there, so appreciate that. And so in terms of your day-to-day, how do you balance, obviously pre-pandemic there, how do you balance being the in-house speaker, as you mentioned, in-house announcer, as well as the chaplain? What does your game day look like then? How how busy is it? 
A game day for me is normally a fairly full day, anytime after 2.30, 3 o'clock. So during the day of a game, I try to lay low as much as possible. I really don't like to get involved with much that's intense or emotionally demanding earlier in the day. And I will head down to the arena normally at around 3.30, 3.45 in the afternoon for a 7.30 game. Once I arrive, Theo, it's a matter of you know what? Every player, every elite level player has what they call their routine, right? They have their game day routine. It's something that they don't mess with. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm pretty much the same. I'm pretty much the same. I get there, put my coat down, I put my bag down, I go to the media room, I get my notes, I say to hi to anybody who I pass by along the way, I sit down at the court side, I balance between interacting with individuals who are going by and reviewing my notes and writing out my rosters and writing out the introductions and going over what special things will be happening in that game in terms of promotions or contests, or the Raptor comes over and tells me what he's going to be doing, what silliness he's going to be doing. And then once that is done, I go and have dinner. That's usually around 5 o'clock or so, 5, 5.15, I go and have dinner. Again, I am a creature of habit. I really, really prefer to have a very quiet dinner on my own. I don't like sitting, don't take this, don't take this personally, anybody. Uh, and anybody who's walked past me and tried to say hi while I'm having dinner knows what I'm talking about, but I really like to be quiet. I like to gather my own thoughts, enjoy my meal, and not have much interaction because I know that once I'm done dinner, all that quietness goes out the window. So after that, I head back down to the court area, and then it's community engagement time. This is kind of like where I'm part announcer, part chaplain at this point because I'm engaging people in conversations, visiting team media, coaches, arena staff, you name it, and building relationships, right? And that is a great opportunity to get to know people and find out how they're doing and how their families are doing. And then it's time to go and get ready for chapel, which always takes place an hour before tip-off. Steve or I, depending on who is sharing that night, we go and we set up the chairs. We've got a designated area. I'm the one that's responsible for notifying the visiting team of when and where chapel is. So hopefully we get a couple guys out. Then now before tip-off, we spend usually somewhere between 12 to 15 minutes for pregame chapel, and that involves opening prayer, a short, you know, eight to nine minute message devotional from the scriptures, and then a closing prayer, an opportunity if anybody wants to share any prayer requests, although that doesn't usually take place because it's such a confidential area. And I think it's worth noting for your listeners, Theo, that this is available to both teams. So it is not uncommon for us during chapel to have members of both teams with their uniforms or warm-ups on and their flip-flops and whatnot standing, holding hand-in-hand while we have our closing prayer together. And it's really a beautiful picture of unity because uh, really, if you're a child of God, it doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing, we're all on the same team. So we're grateful for that. And then once we say amen, I do my best impersonation of an Athletics Canada sprinter And I get over to the court because usually within about a minute to a minute and a half, it's time for me to do my opening introductions. Basketball fans, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Scotiabank Arena. And off we go to the races. After that, it's a whole series of reads. I do have about a 12 to 15 minute break in there where, you know, Kat and Mark do some in arena stuff. And that's when I'll go and do a formal voice warm up in the same way that an athlete would never dream of running a race or playing a game without warming up. I have a full vocal range warm-up that I do as well for my vocal cords. And then it's time to come back to the seat, my seat, just before the team hit the, hits the court. Yeah, and then two and a half hours later, I'm ready for a good night's sleep. 
pretty much a game day for me. Yeah, it sounds simple, but a, a long day there, Herbie, and uh, lots of good info you shared. And so I like the the point that you made about kind of wanting your alone time a little bit because after, once the game is on, you're on, everyone can see you, everyone can hear your voice, right? You know, it's interesting. Once the game begins, not only am I surrounded by 20,000 people, let's be honest, okay? I've got 20,000 people sitting all around me. I have pell-mell action happening in front of me on the court with very little break if it's not the game it's the north side crew if it's not the north side crew it's the raptor if it's not the raptor it's a contest there's always activity it's non-stop adrenaline and literally feel by the time the game is done the final buzzer goes and i say raptors win raptors win at least i hope that's what i'm saying then by the time i sign off you know a few minutes later you know, I hop on the go train for the ride home. Then I just feel the adrenaline go, <sighs> I'm ready to crash. Like, I am so tired. Because it's basically been from 3.30, 3.45 till almost 11 p.m. of nonstop energy. So that's why I value the quiet time during dinner so much. And that's why I try my best to have quiet time on the go train on the ride home. I'm not always successful. Because a lot of times there are a lot of people who are at the game who are on the train. And I guess, depending on who you ask, I'm somewhat recognizable. So uh, you are, Herbie. <laughs> I do occasionally get asked for, you know, a photo or something like that on the train. And I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I, I absolutely, I still count it a privilege when people ask for a photo or an autograph or something like that. That said, uh, if I don't get asked for anything, I'm quite content with that as well. To be quiet put my toque on, pull my hood up, plug the earphones in, and try to decompress on my way home. Yeah, I can't imagine just uh, being surrounded by that many fans and just trying to hear your own thoughts as well. And so, let's say, let's let's take it back to the playoff games there, obviously, with oh, yeah. Kawhi shot and things like that. What was it like to be in that atmosphere? Are you even able to hear yourself think? Because it's just so loud, right? You know what, Theo, to be quite honest with you, it's a discipline. It is really a discipline because when you are surrounded by that many individuals and the lights are that bright, that 2019 playoff run, mercy, that was ridiculous. Like, it was ridiculous with each subsequent round. Uh, we started off with Orlando and then we moved on to Philadelphia and the lights got a little bit brighter. And then we moved on to Milwaukee and the lights got a little bit brighter. And then we moved on to Golden State and the lights were like like sunlight at midday full force and it seemed like the intensity just kicked up a notch with each subsequent round and when you're surrounded by that much buzz and you're surrounded by that much energy i'm not going to speak on behalf of anybody else who's sitting there in that environment game after game but for me myself i know as someone who has struggled with mental health before and as someone who has struggled with burnout before i know I need to discipline myself to be able to block out when necessary. And sometimes that will look like during a timeout, you know, it's only two minutes, two and a half minutes. But if I have no responsibilities during that timeout, let's say I'm not announcing a contest or not introducing anyone in the stands or anything like that, I will, if you look down, you'll see me and I've just got my eyes closed. I've got my eyes closed and I'm taking deep breaths and I'm really just making myself conscious of the fact that I need to still my mind, still my spirit, still my soul, 
so that when the buzzer goes and it's time to kick up into the game gear, if you will, I'm better prepared to handle that. It's, it's kind of like a car engine is the best analogy that I can give. And this is something that, you know, I know we didn't, he didn't necessarily ask me about, that, about this, but it's a real discussion. You want to have real discussions, right? As part of your podcast. When I was working with a psychiatrist dealing with depression and mental health, he said, Herbie, an engine is meant to rev high at certain times. It can't be high RPMs all the time. It has to have an opportunity to come down and be at a regular level. Otherwise, the engine's going to burn out. And that's the same thing for me, for the way I live and the way my brain operates as well. So during a game, to your question, where everything is kicked up a notch and everything's extra intense and the buzz is just off the charts, I need to select moments to go, it's all good. You're good. You're doing all right. Yes, you're fine. All right, cool. And do a little self-talk. Cognitive behavioral therapy. And that is part of what gets me through a game. It's part of what gets me through a game. And I'm very proud of myself for having developed those mechanisms over the course of my career. Yeah, Herbie, really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that with the audience there and, and sharing a bit of your story with mental health as well. And what you're saying is not unlike journey and disciplines of athletes, right? It, we think, oh, just an announcer, just talking out loud. But no. a lot of the things you're implementing is something an athlete would do, right? So that's really cool that you're doing that. And that leads me to a question of how did you even end up as the in-house announcer did you apply did someone approach you how did that work all the way back in 1995 there or 1994 probably <laughs> 1994 i had graduated from vanier college in Céleron, quebec a suburb of montreal where i had announced football and basketball for two years as the voice of the vanier college cheetahs and in 1994 when the raptors franchise and the vancouver grizzlies franchises <laughs> were introduced and we knew that they would begin playing the the next year, I kind of had this dream, this seed planted in my head that that's a job that I was going to aim for. The key defining moment for me, Theo, was the World Championships of Basketball, which took place in Toronto and Hamilton in 1994. And obviously, depending on your age listening to this, you may remember that clearly. You might not have even been alive when those World Championships took place. But most people have heard of Dream Team, the U.S. Dream Team, which played in Barcelona in 1992. Well, Dream Team 2 was in Toronto and Hamilton in 1994, and the U.S. cleaned up and won the gold medal. But I was chosen of one of about a dozen announcers for those world championships in Toronto and Hamilton in 1994. And I prepared exhaustively for those world championships. I worked hard. I was prepared. I did a great job. I was confident. And as it turned out, the World Championships were run by John Bitov's group. John was the original primary owner of the Toronto Raptors, and I didn't realize that at the time. And here is a, a great example to all the young people out there who are listening to never burn bridges, to always be professional at every opportunity because you never know who you're going to meet again down the road. And the gentleman who hired me as well as a number of others for the World Championships I did not realize at the time that he would end up being the same individual who would go on to hire the first public address announcer for the Toronto Raptors. So the impression that I had made during the World Championships stuck like glue, baby. And um, I kept on persisting. I kept on calling him every three or four weeks. Hi, Mr. Cooper. It's Herbie again. Hi, Mr. Cooper. It's Herbie again. I'm announcing at Humber College this week. I'm announcing at Ryerson this week. I'm announcing at the Junior Nationals this week. And da 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 And one day in August of 95, I got a phone call. And they said, come on down here to the office. We'd like to talk to you about the PA announcer's job. And the rest is history. 
here we are 26 years later and I'm still kicking at the can. Yeah, love, 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 love that story. And you've seen, and I'm, for the basketball fans listening, you've seen the Raptors grow from a baby franchise. You had Damon Stoudemire back in the day, right? From the University of Arizona, a 5'10 guard. Yes. <laughs> and you probably remember some of the lean years with the Raptors in the mid-2000s there. And then obviously now the Raptors are are doing well. So what are some of your fondest memories of the team? I know you probably can't just pick one. So maybe share a couple of your fondest memories besides the, the championship, of course. Yeah. What are some memories that maybe people, if you say it, they'll might remember and be like, oh, yeah, that was a fun thing. Yeah, absolutely. Theo, great question. You know what? Obviously, the very first ever game at Skydome, November 3rd, 1995, that was a highlight, obviously, beating New Jersey Nets and having, you know, A-list celebrities there at the game. I think Samuel L. Jackson was at the game. That was just, you know, that was just off the charts wild. David Hasselhoff, Knight Rider, was at the game. You know, these kind of things was so memorable, so memorable. Then also that first season when we beat the 72 and, you know, the team that would go on to be 72 and 10 that year, the Chicago Bulls beating Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, you know, um, Scottie Pippen, beating the Bulls 109-108 during that first season was truly an epic moment that I will never, ever, ever forget. And over the years, there have been some fantastic moments, playing in the playoffs for the first time, then not being in the playoffs for a while. I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what year it was, but there was, for some reason, this game stands out. We had played Indiana a whole bunch of times and we were just never able to beat Indiana and I can't remember if it was our I do remember it was at Air Canada Center so it had to be like our fifth or sixth year or something like that and Indiana had you know Reggie Miller and Rick Smits and these guys and and we finally beat the Pacers and for some reason that game I, I should look it up and see when the year it was what date it was but for some reason that game really really stands out of my mind and then we go back to the playoffs you know the the, the series where we played against Brooklyn right mm-hmm. and I'll never forget the energy coming into the arena and this is shortly after Drake had been named a global ambassador for the team and I remember walking into the arena as the fans were coming in and over the PA system they started playing started at the bottom now we're here and the place just erupted just erupted and this is like 20 minutes before tip off like this is before the introductions right and I remember the electric. I'm got. I got goosebumps just thinking about it right now. The electricity in there was just off the charts. There have been so many great things. You know what was really cool? Oh, this is one the fans will remember. How about when Vince went off for 51 against the Phoenix Suns on a Sunday afternoon North America wide national broadcast? Vince going off for 51 that day. I will never ever forget because it was like a. Bam, stamp of approval, baby. Here we are. This is our guy. We mean business. That was fantastic. There there are so many. There are so many. Donnell Marshall. Don't ask me how this just came to my mind. At one time, three he pointers. Hit, he, well, yeah, he hit 11 three pointers in the same game. And at that time, I think it was, I can't remember if it's still the Raptors record. I think it's been broken since then, but I remember that time it was a Raptors record for three-pointers in a game, all sorts of things like that. Damon Stoudemire winning Rookie of the Year in his first season. Then the next season, Marcus Camby winning Rookie of the Year, having two back-to-back Raptors draft picks win the Rookie of the Year award brought a sense of validity for the Raptors. You know, how about having Sam Mitchell win Coach of the Year, having Dwayne Casey win Coach of the Year, having Coach Nurse win Coach of the Year, if I'm not mistaken, Jay Triano, I think, won Coach of the Year at one point. Is you know, so the Raptors' coaching staff, the 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 management choices they've made, 
and the coaching staff ch- choices they've made over the years. Having Lenny Wilkins as one of our head coaches. Legend. Was so cool. I mean, the dude is a walking legend. And he's like, hey, Herbie, how are you? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, you know me? This is crazy. So there have been so many things. But I'm going to tell you one thing, Leo. Theo, pardon me. One of the things that stands out over the years, over and above everything, over and above any individual moment, over and above the Kawhi shot, over even winning the championship, is this, the relationships, the people you get to know, the people you get to meet, the people you get to, who no matter if I'm with this team or not, I know will be lifelong friends. Sometimes maybe it may be an official. It may be a, a member of their visiting team broadcasting staff. It may be you fill in the blank, a player, a fan, a, a security guard, an usher, people who I met in 1997 who are still friends today. That's golden. That's the stuff you can't put a price tag on. That's what stands out to me oh, the most over my quarter century of announcing for the Toronto Raptors. And you know, Herbie, we just get a peek into your character and what you value as well through your answer there, just the valuing of relationships. I can imagine as the visiting team is coming to chapel and things like that, it's almost like a mini reunion every time, right? Because you might see them once a year and it's just like you get to catch up. And the chapel, is that for staff and support staff as well or just players or what does that look like if you're able to share? It's for players, coaches and, and immediate staff connected to the teams. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily open to, um, concession worker or uh, that that type of thing because of you know the intimacy of the gathering if you will the privacy of the gathering do you, you have to honor that so yeah it's that's that's who it's limited to and that has to your point that has created some wonderful mini reunions over the years and i'll give you a great example of that is is steph curry steph obviously all of our listeners know that his dad dell played here in toronto and dell and his wife sonia are friends with myself and my wife stephanie and I got to watch Steph, Steph and Seth put up shots on the court as they were, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. And, you know, being able to watch them do that and then watch their growth as they both become bona fide NBA players. And then obviously in Steph's case, he's gone on to be into a different stratosphere. And every time they come back, if you talk with Mark Spears of the unlimited of the undefeated, pardon me of ESPN's broadcast, and Mark interviewed Steph during the 2019 playoff run about me. Steph said, Herbie's kind of like an honorary uncle. He's like kind of like Uncle Herb. And so over those years, whenever Golden State would come to town, and, you know, there was a point where Mark Jackson was coaching the Golden State Warriors. And Mark, of course, a former Raptor and a former person who would come to chapels regularly. It was like, oh, guys, it's so good to see you again. How's the family? Herbie, how's your boy doing? Steph, how, you know, how's the family? How's your wife? You know, it, it was just so many sweet moments. So many players over the years who I've gotten to know beyond the stat line. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, people are going to forget about the stat line for an obscure game in the middle of winter. But it's the character stuff that lasts forever. And knowing how a guy loves his family, loves his wife, loves his kids, makes the sacrifices, that's the stuff that stands out to me. And most importantly, grows in his faith and puts his faith in Christ as a priority because in essence, that's what shapes all of those other things. It's his faith in Jesus that shapes how he treats his wife, how he raises his kids and the ethic that he applies to his game. 
And that's, to me, that's what stands out over and above everything else. Herbie, love, love the energy. And I know you kind of wish you were announcing right now, obviously, uh, during the pandemic with the Raptors being in Tampa. Yeah. You've got to bring out the energy somewhere. So love that you're bringing it out on the podcast there. <laughs> but you need to know, though, we are doing pregame chapels every game during the pandemic. Every single game, an hour before tip-off, my co-chaplain Steve and I were on Zoom connecting with some of our guys. we got a regular group of guys who are there for chapel pretty much every single game. So we're not thoroughly disconnected from our boys, not as connected as I would like maybe, but we are connected and I give God all the praise for that. And thank you, Lord, for the technology to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and Herbie, we were talking about this off air, but just to let the audience know, I'm not going to ask too many questions about kind of his role with the the chaplaincy, just to honor the intimacy, as Herbie talked about, the confidentiality with that. So just uh, for the audience to be aware. And Herbie, in terms of when you first started, I'm sure you're used to this by now, but when you first started, you know, Michael comes into the building, all these big name players are coming to the building. How do you balance, um, obviously, being a professional with just knowing that these guys are larger than life superstars? I'm sure you're used to it by now, but what was it like back then? I am mostly accustomed to it now. Back then, it was, Theo, an extremely surreal experience. It was extremely surreal to have, here's an example, uh, first game of our second season was the 50th anniversary of the NBA, and we're playing against the New York Knicks, and we're wearing our Toronto Huskies jerseys, and there are a whole bunch of special guests in town for this 50th anniversary game. And I look over to the side, and there is Dr. J standing there, Julius Irving, the man. And I'm like, I am shaking. I'm like, okay, I got to go say hi. I just have to. So I went over. I said, hello, Mr. Irving. Hi, my name's Herbie Kuhn. And this is what I did. And he said, hold on, hold on. He says, you're the guy with the voice? (laughs) I'm telling you, I just about fainted on the spot. He says, that's you? I'm like, yes, that's me. That was really, really weird. And in the first season, our our first season was when Magic Johnson made one of his comebacks. And I got to introduce and actually meet Irvin Magic Johnson. And I I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you, my man. At that point, I'm just like shit. I'm trying I'm trying to be cool. You know, you know the old saying, act like you've been there, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. They tell that to athletes all the time. <laughs> I'm trying my best on the exterior to act like I've been there, like this is all cool. But inside, I'm I'm going, holy, my goodness, my son of a good bit. This is, this is Magic Johnson. It was unreal. It was so, so cool. So there have been a number of experiences like that, watching Michael and the Bulls come out onto the court for the first time. Like you're just enamored with it. You're fascinated by every move they make. And over the years, getting to introduce and announce for Reggie Miller. Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, and so on and so forth. So many legends over the years. Penny Hardaway and, oh my gosh, Carl Malone and John Stockton. And the list goes on and on and on. I've announced for so many of these guys. Ah, It's cool. It's cool. Now, I'm pretty cool with it. It takes something really, really spectacular now to make me get starstruck. But every now and then, I haven't I haven't lost the sense. I think the point that we need to get across here, I haven't lost the sense of what it's like to still be a fan. The sense of awe, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the cool part. There's still a, a healthy sense of awe, but I think with 25 years of experience has also come an appreciation that, yes, this is what they've accomplished, but at the end of the day, 
put, put our pants on in the same way. You know what? They still have wants. I still have wants. They still have an addict, you know, insecurities. I still have insecurities. They have things that they're good at. I have things that I'm good at. So let's kind of level the playing field. But the fan is still there. The fan is still there. And on the reverse, when people meet you, and I know you don't see yourself <laughs> as a celebritized figure in, in some ways and appreciate the humility, but when someone meets you and they're like, oh, you're the Herbie Coon, like, you're the voice, like, how do you deal with that, especially as a Christian and uh, with the aspects of wanting to be humble and things like that? What's that been like being recognized on the subway or at games especially? Michael Pinball Clemens. The man, the myth, the legend, CFL, multiple-time All-Star, Grey Cup champion, said this, shared this story one time. He said, have you ever heard the one about the turtle on a fence post? I said, no, I don't know that story. He says, well, what do you think of when you see a turtle on a fence post? Uh, well, it's pretty incredible that a turtle is on top of a fence post. And what else strikes you? Well, how did the turtle get there? Because there is no way that a turtle can get its way by itself up to the top of a fence post. You know what that means, Theo? It means somebody had to put him there. And that is what I am mindful of. That is what I try to be mindful of every time someone, and I'm not kidding, sometimes people freak out when they meet me and it just, it's to me, it's still weird. Like, like, it's really weird. You're an icon, man. You're a legend. You're the goat. And I'm like, hey, listen, I'm just a dude who was born and raised in the beach. I love a cold beer, okay? I love my family. And, yeah, I love kicking back with my boys and watching sports. <laughs> oh, yes, and I love Jesus, too. There's no doubt about it. So I still can be uncomfortable sometimes when people react in that way. That said... In the same way that I have now a renewed appreciation for the accomplishments of others, I can also appreciate in the same breath what I have accomplished. And it is not insignificant. I will be honest with you. I do think I'm the best announcer in the league. I do. Hey. I'm also grateful for the fact that I have announced over a thousand NBA games and I'm grateful to God and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've demonstrated such longevity over the course of my career. I'm proud of that. There's no doubt about it. But in the same breath, I remember this. It's not all about me. Someone had to put me there. And that someone is my Lord. Plain and simple. I didn't choose this voice. I didn't say, hey, Lord, I'll take the deep one, please. That sounds nice over a PA system. God gave it to me. In the same way that Michael didn't choose to be 6'6", in the same way that Whoever else didn't choose to be seven foot tall, I didn't choose this voice. God made me this way. And I have chosen to use this voice to honor him by using it to the best of my ability, whether that's announcing, whether that's sitting one-on-one -on -one with a broken soul, whether that's sharing a message at a chapel, whether that's preaching at a men's retreat in front of a couple hundred guys, you name it. Whatever I'm using my voice for, it's surrendered back to him. God put me there on top of that fence post for a reason. So that is what I endeavor to keep at the forefront of my mind and my thinking whenever people recognize me and get all excited about meeting me. Yeah, is it cool to meet the voice of the raptor? Sure, it's cool. But never forget who facilitated the route to me becoming the voice of the raptors. The Lord did, period. Love it, Hervey. Love that. And that segues well into asking now about faith and sport and how faith plays out in your role in sport, which you've kind of alluded to, but 
obviously, uh, Jesus being the number one thing in your life, as you've mentioned multiple times, what's it like being a Christian in an environment where there are Christians, of course, but I'm sure you've encountered, I don't know if the word's opposition, but people who are maybe indifferent or just don't want to talk about faith. So what's it like being a Christian in the sports world, uh, in what you do? It's an incredible privilege, actually. It's a real blessing because you are correct. There are people who are, you, you pick the name. There are people who are indifferent to it. There are people who are antagonistic towards it. There are people who say, oh, that's cool. That's good for you. And there are people who are fascinated by it, but although they're not personally interested themselves. And then, of course, you have your fellow believers who are thrilled that you were there. And then of those four or five categories I've mentioned, there are a whole bunch of little levels in between as well. So for me, I consider it a privilege to be a Christ follower, and I consider it a privilege to be able to represent him. And I love the pressure that it brings. Hear me careful here. To whom much has been given, much is expected. Right? That's what the scripture says. So I have been given a lot. I've been given a voice. I've been given a platform. I've been given access to people that most people don't get to meet. I've been given access to an area down there that most people don't get to walk down to an NBA court or a CFL football field or the side of a track for, for a national championships, that kind of thing. God has put me there and I never lose sight of the fact that it's a privilege. So back to your original question, what's it like being a Christian down there? It's about consistency. It comes down to consistency. Am I, am I walking what I'm talking? And I don't walk around necessarily preaching Jesus per se. I don't walk around and to every individual I meet, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Do you know how, you know, Jesus forgiven you for your sins? No, I don't do that. That's not, that's not how I roll. But what I try to do is I try to exude him and demonstrate him and have Christ likeness come out of my veins and my voice and my tone and my everything as I am interacting with individuals and by God's grace with his Holy Spirit, that's the light shining on a hill as it talks about in Matthew 5. And hopefully in some mysterious gospel way, they'll go, something different about that dude. Something weird about him. And then, haha, then the conversations can open up. So I, again, I go back to the same word again, privilege. It's a privilege, it's a privilege, it's a privilege to be a believer there and to be able to navigate the waters of being a Christian in an extremely secular environment, hey, you got to be solid. You got to be solid in your faith. You got to be, you got to believe in what you believe in. But at the end of the day, it's about consistency. It's about walking the walk and, and making sure you don't discredit him with how you carry yourself. And when you do, <laughs> on occasion, you humble yourself and you say, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. I'll get back on my horse and I'll try not to make the same mistake twice. Because there have been times where I've lost my temper. And there have been times where I've snapped back at someone, so on and so forth. And you do, you know what? You got to go, oh, that's not cool. <laughs> and you got to go back and fix that. So, yeah, that's the best answer I can give to your question. Appreciate the vulnerability again in, in sharing that. And we alluded to this earlier, but you're a chaplain with the Raptors, but you're also doing some other stuff as well. So why don't you talk a little bit about you're putting faith and sport together with athletes in action as well, full time. So maybe yep. discuss what some opportunities you have there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a full time commission staff with athletes in action and athletes in action, as you are aware, has several different spheres, several different categories, including touring teams. We have 
campus, we have camps, and we also have our pro ministry. And so I'm blessed to be part of the staff for the pro ministry. And my particular role involves here in the greater Toronto area. I am the co-chaplain with the Raptors, along with Steve Kearns, the lead chaplain for the Toronto Argonauts Football Club, the oldest professional sports franchise in North America, if I may say so myself, and also chaplain for the Athletics Canada East Hub, which operates out of the Toronto Track and Field Centre at York University. So I am the chaplain for those three teams, Pastor, if you will, Pastor Herb, Chaplain Herb, and on the side, if you will, part of my portfolio, although it's not directly tied into sports, I'm also a law enforcement chaplain with a police service in the greater Toronto area as well. So all those things combined, along with being a keynote speaker and a preacher, an itinerant preacher and um, MC or what have you. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a full, it's a full fun-time job. I love it. Oh, yeah, and there's that announcing thing too. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, Theo, in my word, praying, not as much as I should, I'll, I will admit, and looking to God for inspiration. What do I share for this chapel? Because I'm coming up, you know, by God's grace, we're, we're, we're developing 40, 50, 60, 70 messages a year sometimes for chapels, for Bible studies, leading that kind of stuff. And you, you need to be prepared and you need to have quality content. It's one thing for a person to show up one time. It's another thing for them to show up every single week. So <laughs> you got to be prepared and you got to know what God is saying to you about what you should share. So obviously, I don't know when this podcast will air, but for the purposes of today, I am in preparation for an Athletics Canada online chapel tonight. And I, unless God changes my mind in between now and then, I know what I'm going to be sharing about faithfulness. And I'm excited about that. And I love that confirmation. It's part of the part of the journey of being a chaplain. So that's what I do with Athletes in Action. Yeah, big shout out to AIA as well. Woo! I've had experience with that group uh, in university. So I get that you're part of the pro side. And in terms of preparation for chapels, you mentioned during your day, you know, around three o'clock, let's say forward, you're kind of at the arena. Are you prepping at the arena? Or are you doing that at home, like on another day kind of thing? What does that look like? So what I described earlier was during a normal game day pre or non-pandemic times. In terms of now, while we're only doing our pregame chapels online, it's weird. You know, I can have dinner with my family, for example. You know, if let's say chapels at 6.30. I'll have dinner with my family. But 10% of my mind is distracted because <laughs> I know chapels coming up. So, yeah, it's not really fair to my family. But at least I'm, I'm there and I'm involved in conversation. But my mind always says, yep, chapel's coming up in a little while. So there, there's still a little bit of game day mode that still happens uh, even when you're not announcing the games at courtside. There's no doubt about it. Back to the athletes in action point and, you know, faith in sports. I really, I think it's important for us to touch on this. And obviously this is something that you believe in. And mostly, hopefully the people, if you're listening to this, you probably agree with me though. But sports and Christ are not mutually exclusive. Just because you're talking about faith or religion or Jesus or whatever doesn't mean it ha you have to leave sports out of the conversation. It's quite simple, actually. God gives us gift different giftings. God gives us all different skill sets. God gives us different parts of the body. The church, capital C church, is made up of different organisms and different body parts. And all of them together function to fulfill the role of sharing the gospel. So if you are serving in ministry to serving hot bowls of soup to someone who's homeless, or if you are sitting at the side of a soccer pitch 
talking to a little seven or eight year old who doesn't have a mom or a dad at home. And you're, I, I don't care. That's they're both ministry. They're both just as important. You may be sitting there at the corner of Shooter and Dundas ministering to a, a heroin addict. You might be sitting outside a locker room praying with an athlete who just blew his or her ACL and is out for the season. You know what? In both cases, you are representing Christ at a point of need for another individual. Which, hmm, let me think of it. I think I know somebody else who did that pretty well. Oh yeah, his name's Jesus. He was pretty good at meeting people where they are at their point of need and addressing their immediate concerns. So to me, whether you're feeding a homeless person, ministering to a professional athlete, or traveling to Africa, or preaching in a pulpit, they're all ministry. You're all fulfilling a crucial need in terms of the body of the capital C church in distributing the gospel, share, making Jesus famous. And that's what we're all about. So for anybody who has this ill-conceived notion that the athlete should stay over here and the ministry should stay over there, I beg to differ. Let me just say, we got an argument on your hands, all right? Because the two belong together. And by the way, I've made a career of it by God's grace for 20 years now. So yeah, that's what I've got to say about that. Yeah, Herbie, I love the PSA there. That was awesome. And I mean, you did hear about this, a famous uh, football player a couple of years ago there, a few years ago now, Tim Tebow was big and sharing his faith. And I know some players were kind of expressive and saying that should be kept kind of on the side. But Tim Tebow's argument was, I love Jesus and Jesus permeates all of my life. So why wouldn't I share about him? Just like how you would share about yeah. a favorite movie or something you watched. And something I find really fascinating too, Herbie, is just seeing, as you mentioned, it's behind closed doors, this example that you gave, which is players linking arms and praying. But we've seen that in other sports, not just football, where players come together after a game and pray. I think that's really cool when fans can actually see that and see that unity, right? That's one of my favorite parts. That's one of my favorite parts of being a football chaplain is the post-game prayer circle. Oh, I love that. I, yeah, I'm not going to go on. I could go on for 10 minutes about that alone. I love that. I am delighted to be a part of that. That's so cool. Yeah, such a great example and testimony of Jesus. And just as as we talked about the unity, because the gospel transcends all culture and all nations. And so that's awesome. And so to wrap up our episode here today, Herbie, I'm going to give you a chance to give some advice for athletes or parents listening in the audience for onside. How can they continue to live out their faith in sport despite people having opposition or um, just, as you mentioned, a secular world? So what's the final advice you give? Kind of like a mini chapel there for you there, Herbie, as we wrap up. I'm going to attempt to narrow this down to two things, Theo. Item number one is this. One of my favorite sayings is this. In terms of for the young person out there, who has dreams of aspiring to something incredible, or even for the middle-aged person out there, the person in their 30s or 40s or 50s who still has dreams that are unfulfilled, I would say this, success is when preparation meets opportunity. We will all have opportunities to move ahead in life, but the question is, will you be prepared to have success? Will you be prepared when the opportunity comes? I had an opportunity to pursue renouncing to move on to the Raptors role from the world championships. And the reason I was successful is because I was prepared. It's when we are ill-prepared that those opportunities come and 
off they go. And we say, what happened? What about me? So I would like to encourage everyone out there, if you are interested in pursuing excellence, be prepared. Do your research. Do your homework. And if the opportunity has not yet prepared itself, then be ready for the opportunity. Be like the athlete who is not currently under contract to a team, but is still going in the gym four or five hours a day and putting up the shots and getting the workouts in. So when they do get the call for the tryout, they're ready. It's not like they have to accelerate back up into game mode. They are prepared. That's how I want to encourage you. Whatever your dream is, if you've got a dream of being a doctor, a firefighter, a police officer, a pro athlete, an accountant, you name it, you know what the things are you need to do in order to be prepared to move forward with success. As it applies to faith, hey, listen, Christ is me. Christ is in me. And every breath is grace. So the way I look at it, Theo, is this. How how am I representing him? How am I living everything I do, whether it's conducting an interview for a podcast, whether it's being interviewed like it is by being interviewed by you for a podcast, whether it's announcing a game, whether it's doing a chapel, whether it's what my neighbors are seeing when I walk my dog around the block, whether it's what the my fellow parents are seeing when I'm watching my son and cheering him on at the side of a sideline, right? I need to be mindful because the Holy Spirit is in me. I need to be mindful of who I represent at all times. If you are a member of a team, you wear a logo on your chest, you wear a certain set of colors, and you've got your name on your back. And you represent those entities, right? Amen? You represent the name. You represent those who came before you. You represent the, 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 the organization you are playing for. You represent the team. If you are in Christ, that's who you represent above and beyond anything else. And so I would simply like to say, it's not a pressure statement. This isn't a behavior or a you must achieve this statement. It's simply saying this. It's simply saying, be aware of that. And allow that to exude through you, allow that to shape who you are every given moment. And when you gain the experience of walking with the Lord, it it, it comes pretty naturally. It comes pretty naturally. Amen. 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 So thank you, Herbie, for coming on. Hopefully you've been encouraged by what he's had to share and just to hear a little bit about his work with the Raptors, with Athletes in Action. So Herbie, uh, once again, thank you for giving up of your time. You're welcome and appreciate that all, all the wisdom that you gave us. So uh, thanks again. And may, if I may feel before we sign off, because we are not in competition with one another, we are all here to serve the body of Christ. I'm going to give a quick shout out that beginning in March, the athletes in action, total athlete podcast is going to begin airing uh, featuring interviews with high level, professional elite level and Olympian coaches and athletes. And so for anyone who's listening to this, you'll probably be interested. So beginning second or third week of March, depending on when this airs, go to your favorite podcast distributor and do a search for Total Athlete or search for Athletes in Action. And uh, please listen in. And we would love to have you hear some stories from some of the people who I've looked up to along the years as well, some current professional athletes and head coaches as well so yeah let's let's all work together to accomplish the same purpose sound like sound like a plan absolutely i'll make sure to leave that in the show description so that when this airs you'll be able to check that podcast out and herbie are you the host of that as well yes sir will we get to hear your voice again is that what you're saying absolutely absolutely love it love it the total athlete podcast brought to you by athletes in action i'm your host herbie coon there you go so i gotta try i gotta try to be as good as you theo this is not gonna be easy man no, no, you're you're the legend right there. So, Herbie, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great afternoon.
Our next episode features Sarah McGrath-McKinley, a social worker who also works in the field of sports psychology and mental performance coaching. During the interview, Sarah shares her background working with athletes on the mental side of sport, some practical tips to help athletes with their mental performance, and she talks about how she lives out her faith while counseling and coaching her clients. If you want to connect with Onside Athletics, you can find us at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. May we continue to glorify God in everything we do. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a blessed week.